Hey, good morning. Uh, happy 4th of July weekend to you. Uh, I, I don't know uh, what your plans are. I get a little uh, excited this weekend. I always enjoy it. Growing up as a kid, uh, we, we, were, we were a block party neighborhood. Our, our whole neighborhood kind of coned off the street. Uh, the houses that had pools all up in their backyards, barbecues in the middle of the street, games, water balloon fights, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, it, it was it was a ton of fun. I don't know what it was. Every year, for whatever reason, though, at every block party, I would get really hurt. I, I don't know what it was. The worst one was we were playing football in the street, and a guy threw a pass to me, and I caught the pass, and there was all these extra cars, and I just face first right into a parked car, held onto the ball, and uh, scored the touchdown. But it was like every year I would get really hurt. So I got invited to a couple block parties this year. So I'm going to kind of stand away from fire and anything sharp and things like that and just kind of take it all in. Uh, most years uh, now, uh, since I've been married, we, we go up to a place called Canyon Lake. It's about an hour from here. And we watch the fireworks over the lake and just enjoy all the same kind of barbecue and all those kinds of things. But it's very easy, I find, on, on this kind of weekend just to take in friendship and, and, and make it all about the barbecues and water balloons and all those kinds of things. And uh, thinking about the uniqueness of a, a weekend like this where the, the Sunday worship falls so close to Fourth of July that uh, there's, there's a, a, a need for us just to think differently. And I think especially in a year like this, uh, a very important uh, political year for our country that, that a, a day like today is important for us to think through uh, how we are as Christians, what do we as Christians bring uniquely to our nation? Uh, I, I hope that you have a great sense of appreciation of the, the many blessings we have in this country. And, and a lot of times you don't realize it until you go outside our country and you realize some of the things, the, the freedom to worship like we do. Uh, I, I got a chance to see this photo, and I'll never forget this photo. It's so powerful. But it was a photo of this cave, and there's about a thousand people worshiping this cave in this closed country where you, you couldn't worship openly and freely like this. But it was interesting. They showed this picture of everyone gathered together, and then they showed this second photo of this small little hole that everyone had to kind of climb through to get into it. And as cool as the whole thing was, I was thinking, I'm glad I don't have to do that every week to come to worship. I, I love the, the freedom that we have to, to gather in this way. And it says something about it. I, I, I love thinking through uh, uh, and hearing the stories of sacrifice that make these freedoms possible. And, and, and you, you realize there's something quite beautiful uh, that makes a weekend like this. But it, as high as our, our, the spirit is for us, for our country, I think that in, in many ways of all that we receive... This is, a, this is a time in which we, we think about giving back. I think back to President Kennedy's speech where he had said, uh, and so my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. And I think for us as Christians, many times we just simply look at this through our patriotic lens and we think about this as Americans. Uh, but but what, what if we thought about this specifically through what it means for us to be Christian Americans. What, what is it that we as Christians can uniquely bring as a blessing to serve our nation? That's what we want to think about today. So here's a, here's a big idea that I want us to, to think about as we look at a passage of Scripture that uh, our big idea today, our, our kind of sermon in a sentence is this, is that Christians have a responsibility to serve their nation on God's behalf. We do bring something unique we, we bring something special, and we'll kind of see this as we look at both the, the passage and the instructions that we are given, 
But I also want to walk you through just a little bit of church history and, and, and think about the unique way in which these first Christians did think about what it was that they, as Christians, brought to uh, what was at the time a very evil empire. And so as we think about this, as we walk in this, we're going to look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. If you want to grab a Bible, it's page 1193. And, and 1 Timothy... Uh, most scholars think First uh, Timothy was written somewhere around uh, 65 AD. It's a, it's a pastoral letter, maybe one of the last uh, pieces of the Bible that we have. Uh, a letter from the Apostle Paul to this young pastor, Timothy. And as he's leading a church, uh, and specifically to think of leading a church in Ephesus, and, and as these other pastors are leading, uh, and these leaders are leading, uh, you have this kind of heightened time for what it means to be a Christian in the Roman Empire. So I want you to think about this because I think in some ways for us, we as Christians today in in our country, uh, we might be disappointed. We might be disappointed that our country is not more Christian or that uh, some of the laws don't seem to be on our side. We're we're dealing with the idea that maybe Christian colleges will lose uh, funding. We're, We're dealing with all kinds of concepts that are going on right now that can make us very disappointed. We can think that this country is not... Uh, what we think our founding fathers had in mind. And we can be rather disappointed. And I don't want to take anything away from any of those things. I think they're all important. But I think it's helpful when we look at this passage to think about what these first Christians were experiencing. You have to remember that these first Christians were dealing with a context of a nation and an empire in which there was an expectation of worship of, uh, of the nation, of the empire, of the emperor. There was an expectation that you would offer incense, that you would offer prayers, that you would, you would be uh, someone who worshipped. There was a, a belief in the Roman government that this conviction that the prosperity of the Roman Empire, of, of economy, of peace, of victory out on other frontiers, that all of this came from uh, the state and its gods. And so if you were to refuse the worship of the gods, you were to basically to invite displeasure and possibly even vengeance from the gods. And so it was a crime for Christians to not worship alongside their Roman counterparts, their Roman neighbors, to not offer the, to worship in these ways. And so to do this, the Roman government viewed Christians as atheists. They, they, they didn't believe in their gods. And it was a crime that was, that was punishable. In fact, uh, the more that they refused in some ways to, to offer uh, that kind of, uh, of, of worship to, the, to their gods, uh, the, the more intense the persecution became. Now, there were all kinds of other uh, ideas about Christians, false ideas. And, and sometimes I think you and I feel that way as well, that sometimes we're portrayed incorrectly because people don't quite understand what they hear or what they see us talk about. Now, yeah, think about these first Christians. They were seen as cannibals. They were known to gather together, to eat flesh, to drink blood. And so there was this weird pagan group that was gathering together. We are going to eat flesh and drink blood uh, today. Not literally, uh, so relax, but we'll, we'll share in the same things that the first Christians did. We will share in what's called communion or the Eucharist, and we will gather together the Lord's Supper, and we'll take bread, and we'll take a cup, and we will, we will remind ourselves of Christ's body and his blood shed. And as, so people were hearing those things. They would hear of these love feasts, 
brothers and sisters gathering together to love one another and thinking, what kind of weird stuff is going on in these gatherings? And so there were all kinds of false ideas. But in about 54 AD, uh, the Roman emperor Nero uh, is believed that he set fire to his own city of Rome. And rather than owning up to it, he blamed it on a sect of magicians he called Christians. And there was this great persecution that broke out. And so Christians were charged without trial uh, upon the profession of faith uh, that these crimes of arson and hatred of mankind, of hatred against the empire. And so you have to think about what it would be like to gather in a time like this and, and perhaps leaders or family members torn apart. People, Christians who were taken and thrown in the Colosseum for sport as, as audiences gathered. Maybe some of you have even been to Rome, you've been to the Colosseum, and you think about you know, the movie Gladiator or something like this. Um, but you probably, I don't know if you thought about the, the, had the, uh, the humbling moment to think about your brothers and sisters in Christ who stood on that floor. And for sport, they were wrapped in, in, in uh, skins of animals as wild animals were released. And people, as a, 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 uh, an exhibition, would watch them be torn limb from limb. Uh, they would be taken. They'd be sawn in two. They would be taken. And Nero would take Christians and he would take them and he would put, uh, put them on a pole. He'd, he'd uh, uh, wrap them in tar and light them on fire just so his garden would have these lamps, these human torches. It was a rather ugly and, 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 and uh, terrible time. Crucifixions continued uh, uh, to happen during this time. And so these first years, it was incredibly difficult to be a Christian and to be a Christian in a, in a nation and try to think about as citizens of heaven. How do we, do we retract? Do we run away? Do we hide or do we engage? How do we engage? And so what we want to think about today a little is this very idea. How do we? How do we offer something to our nation uh, uniquely that, that someone else who's not a believer, who's not a follower of Christ, could offer? And so let's look at what Paul tells Timothy to do and how to lead his church. And let's do these very things. So he starts with these words in verse 1. He says, I urge you then, uh, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. Now notice the specifics. He says, then for kings and for all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and human beings, Christ Jesus himself human who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I am not lying and, and, and a true and faithful teacher to the Gentiles. Well, let's pull this apart a little bit. Let's Think about this idea that I think we could agree, yes, as Christians, we should, bring, we should serve our nation. But how? How do we do this? And the first thing we see is this, that we are urged to serve through the praying for our leaders. Through praying for our leaders. And you notice in, verses, in verse 1 that there's this a general call to be people of prayer. 
But notice in verse 2 how specific this, this audience then becomes. That we would pray for the kings. And those that are in authority. Now think about this. He says pray for everyone. But particularly he says pray for those in authority. If, if we were to look back in the Old Testament. We would see that this is a pattern that, that the, the people of God knew. Uh, when they were pulled into exile, when they were, they were not in their own land, when they were in some ways aliens and strangers in another land, and they were held captive, they were urged to pray. And Jeremiah tells them to pray. And now Paul uses the same kind of idea. He uses these four different words to describe the scope of their prayer, to make requests that would be general and specific, uh, to make petitions to think about the personal needs of those that they were praying for. He says to, to make intercession or to intercede. To make intercession means to fall in with someone. It means to, to come on behalf of someone. Or, or maybe you've heard this phrase, to stand in the gap. So you have to think of someone who needs the prayer in God and you're the person who stands in that gap between them and you're the one who's offering that prayer on their behalf. He says intercede on behalf of them. And then the last word is so fascinating to me. Thanksgiving. Give thanks for them. And I'm trying to think through this and I'm starting to think, what would it have been like to try to give thanks for Nero or Domitian or some of these very evil, very evil emperors? And I'm not quite sure how they prayed those prayers of thanksgiving. Uh, whether it be kind of a James idea of, of being thankful, even in the midst of trials that God was with them. I'm not sure how they would do this, but, but you do see this call that we have to pray. Now, one of the things as I was uh, reflecting on this, I was drawn to uh, a man named Tertullian. And Tertullian was a church father. He was a leader. And he made a, a plea to the empire to, say, to, to ask them to stop this, this persecution of Christians. And one of the things that he wanted to do was to draw their attention to the kinds of people Christians were and what it was that they were offering to the empire. And one of the things that he pointed out that he wanted them to understand is that you are persecuting the very people who are praying for you. He writes this, he says, We are a body knit together by one faith, one discipline, and one hope. We meet together as a congregation, uniting together to offer prayer to God. And notice what he says, And we pray for the emperors and all who are in authority. See, this is his letter to the emperor, and he says, Do you realize that when we get together, we pray for you? And we pray for all that are in authority, and we're praying for God's blessing. He says, we pray for the welfare of the world, for peace, and for the delay of the final end. And I don't know if you would catch that, but think about this. In some ways, this is, this is as intense as the persecution was. They were willing, the first Christians were willing to say, Lord, wait, these people need to repent. And they would pray, God, don't come yet, so that these people have a chance Almost as if the same way in which Jesus was able to pray for those who brought persecution to him and, and, and nailed him where he could say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. These first Christians could say, we were praying. And we're praying, Lord, don't come yet until these people have a chance to repent of what they're doing. So why do we pray? Why do we pray in this way? Well, well you know this prayer is the easiest thing we can offer. 
It's something that you can do from the safety of your home. It's something that, that requires very little cost to us. It doesn't require any finances. There's no threat to your safety. But think about this. If you are unwilling to do something that requires so little cost, how will you ever be able to do something that requires a much greater cost? And so all of us can pray. We can all offer prayers. But not just is prayer the easiest thing we can offer. Prayer is the most powerful thing we can offer. Prayer taps the power of God on behalf of others. It is the unique thing that we as Christians bring to the equation. That again, if we think of this idea of standing in the gap, that we, we come and we stand before our leaders, before God, and we pray for them. Prayer is important because it, it, deci- it helps us, it guides us to discern how to act. You're trying to discern the response God wants you to make in this world at this time. And I can't imagine, I, I, I think of, of this political season, and I, I saw um, yesterday a, a sticker I hadn't seen yet. I've seen the, the Trump 2016, the Hillary 2016, and then I saw yesterday it was like... Um, uh, uh, giant meteor 2016. So I, I mean, I, I realize some people have lost all hope that this is anything is going to come good out of this next election. And I don't know how, I, I really don't know how to help you in this next election. I don't know how you're going to go into a time like this apart from prayer and asking God to dis- help you discern all the messages that you're getting. And, and to discern, to try to hear through things that are, you know, no matter which network you're watching or who's posting or who's writing. And trying to ask God, Lord, please help me discern these things and to, to make good choices. And prayer uh, is something that guides us of how to discern, how to act. We, we need discernment. We need prayerful discernment to know when we need to stand up for someone who can't stand for themselves. When we have to stand in the midst of a gap of injustice. And we realize that if we don't stand in this gap, that nobody will. And we pray. And prayer is not our last resort. We just, we, we have this confidence that prayer is the thing that we bring that is so unique. So we're going to pray right now. And so I'm going to invite you in the next uh, about 90 seconds, we're going, to, we're going to pray. I'm going to invite you to do one of two things. Either silently you can pray, or if you want to, you can turn to people that are around you and you can just offer some prayers to God. But uh, for some of you, the, the quiet or the mumbling is going to make you extremely awkward. Hold still for 90 seconds. Don't run. Uh, but if prayer is the best thing, it's the most powerful thing, it's the easiest thing we can offer then let's pray. So let's bow together. If you want to turn and pray with someone, you can, you're welcome to do that. But let's spend the next 96 seconds praying for our nation and let God bring to mind the things that you want to pray for. Let's pray.
So, Lord, we know that uh, prayer is something that we can uniquely bring, especially in this. Uh, we think of these, uh, these next months being so big in our nation's future, our, our present and our future. Uh, we pray for discernment. We pray for, uh, we pray for the, the, uh, where truthful things need to be revealed, that they would be revealed, that you would lead us. We, we know, Lord, we, have, we can see historically, Lord, there's nothing for us to be afraid of. Uh, you, are, you are with us. Uh, even the times that it seems we have been, uh, the people of God have been in, in the most desperate places, in the most desperate times, Lord, you have been with us and gotten us through. And we know our hope is in you. Um, but we, we share uh, the heart we don't, of this passage. We don't want to see anyone separated from you. And so we pray for the wisdom and the discernment and the courage and the strength that's required to be who you want us to be in this nation, for this nation. And so would you build in us a prayerfulness, a prayerful spirit uh, for our nation. May we too, uh, in this day, be like these first Christians who gathered to pray, who made a commitment to pray, Uh, These things, Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Well, we pray. But notice as the passage develops uh, a very important part of that, as we pray, that Christians are urged to serve through the living of godly lives. Uh, Our prayers are, are, the hope is that uh, there's a result that comes from this. He says that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And this is good and it pleases God our Savior. But let's not separate the, the idea of peaceful and quiet from godliness and holiness. Some of us would just be happy to kind of pull back and we just would want uh, the peace and quiet. But notice part of this comes as a result of the godliness and the holiness. You and I have a, a, a challenge to be the kind of citizens in our land that live quiet and peaceful lives, but who live godly lives and live holy lives, who give people a foretaste of more than a nation, of a kingdom, God's kingdom. And through our lives and through the, the, the different kind of people that we are and, and the quality of life of, of God's love and God's character, We recognize that we have this responsibility that that people should see something different in us. And so may we live these godly, holy lives. Again, Tertullian was interesting when he he wrote this apologetic to the emperor. He said this, he he said that we gather together, we read our holy scriptures. He says to nourish our faith, hope, steadfastness. And then he said this, and good habits. Not just the sense of we're going to get through this, but he said when we gather together, we, we, we study the scriptures so that we might be the kind of people, the good people that you want, you need in the society. I think of some of the amazing things that Christians have done. The building of hospitals and universities and orphanages, the, the spark of people who, who, who started these things before anybody else because they, they chose to live good lives in the midst of society. Peter challenged uh, his audience in, in his letter in 1 Peter 2. It says this that he challenged the people to live such good lives 
that even pagans can give praise to God. And that word good there says it, it could be translated beautiful, that we would live such beautiful lives that even people who are far from God could be able to say to God, There's just some, there was something great, there was something I could even give, give that I could say is praiseworthy for the lives that they live. We need to bless our neighbors with the living of godly, holy lives. But here's the last thing I want us to see here that he stresses in the passage is that I, 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 we see this, that we as Christians are urged to serve through the joining of God in his mission, through joining God in his mission. Notice what he says in verse 4, what God's goal is for us in this world is that all people would be saved, that all would come to a knowledge of the truth. And so there's a temptation for us as Christians to see the world kind of disintegrate from the way we want and to want to retract from it. But the only way in which people are going to change and the only really expectation, we can't, we can't expect a, a nation to live as Christians and not, if they're not Christians, if they don't believe. And so we have to engage people and join God in his mission in this world. And what is this truth that he wants? We see this, that there is one God, that there's one mediator between God and human beings, Christ Jesus himself, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This is the good news. This is the news that we proclaim in this world, not that people would behave a certain way and therefore then earn God's favor, but that they would see that in the midst of who we are, God has given himself for us that Jesus came into the world, that he offered himself to save our lives. I, I, I know you hear so many of the, the great stories uh, of, of heroism in our country happen in, in uh, a week like this week. And one of the stories I thought was so fascinating because it, it's really from someone uh, right in our own neighborhood. Uh, on April 8th, 2008, uh, Petty Officer 2nd Class Michael Mansour of Garden Grove, California, he was the fourth person to receive the Medal of Honor, our nation's highest military tribute since the beginning of the Iraq and Afghanistan wars. And uh, uh, the White House uh, released this statement. They said, uh, Petty Officer Mansour distinguished himself by extraordinary heroism on September 29, 2006. He was a part of a security team in Ramadi with three other SEALs and eight Iraqi soldiers. And according to a Navy account, an insurgent fighter threw a grenade which struck Mansoor in the chest before falling in front of him. Mansoor then threw himself on the grenade, according to the other SEALs. One of the men that was there said this. He said he never took his eye off the grenade. His only movement was down toward it. And he said he, he saved my life and the other SEALs' lives, and we owe him. When we hear stories like this, we are reminded, we, we resonate with a story like this because we know our life, our faith, is the result of someone uh, throwing themselves on, on our disaster for us, giving up his life for ours. When we hear of an act like this, we are, we are struck by the, the courage and the bravery. And we realize we would have no life if someone didn't do this for us. Jesus, we are reminded, has paid our ransom. 
We were held captive and Jesus offered his life for us. This is why today, in a moment, we're going to end our our service by by remembering that. And, And Paul wants all the world to understand this truth. And so he reminds us, he reminds the audience, he reminds us that that he has been sent for this very purpose. And so as we think about a a response to all these things, I want to encourage you to to do this today as we're going to have a moment in which the the bread comes and the cup comes and we will think about in some ways this freedom of life that we are given as a result of Christ offering his life on our behalf. But how do we respond with such freedom? And I love what Paul says he's done with his life. And I think it's a challenge for us. I want to challenge you as we respond to recognize the ways that you are being sent for the mission of God. That you would recognize the ways that you're being sent for the mission of God. That Paul says it this way. He says that I become a herald and an apostle. A herald. A herald means one that would proclaim or preach. And you may not stand up here on the, on the platform and get to preach. Or maybe you will. But we all have a message to share. And so as we go back into the world, we have to recognize the unique ways in which God has invited us to be heralds and proclaimers and preachers of this good news. Uh, But we also are to recognize the unique way in which God sends us. Uh, Paul says this, he's an apostle. And an apostle means a a sent one. And he was sent with a unique authority, Jesus himself. uh, He was sent with an authority of Christ himself. But all of us have been sent back into the world. Jesus said to his disciples that as the Father has sent me, now I'm sending you. And so as we end each service, we end with a blessing. We end with a blessing to send you back into the world. Not not to hide, but to engage. And this is why we encourage you to consider to to write out even a, a list of what we call an 8 to 15. 8 to 15 people in your life that you would look at and you would say, these are people that I do life with regularly. They're my coworkers and my neighbors and they're on my team or whatever it is that you, you notice that there just seems to be this pattern. Some people that, that God seems to have strategically, supernaturally just put in your life. And the reason why we ask you to thoughtfully, prayerfully write this list down is because each day our hope is that you would recognize the ways that God is sending you back into that world every single day to bless them. And so when you begin each day asking God, Lord, would you help me bless my 8 to 15? You don't know exactly what your mission will be that day, but you are ready for it and you are looking for it and you are ready. Because what you begin to understand is you are joining God who is already at work. And so we encourage you to to keep this together. I I love it when, when people ask me from the outside, they ask some questions about what changed here at Beach Point. And I, I always like to remind them that it, nothing really changed up here. What changed was out here. And our people really had begun to engage our community, their friends, their neighbors, the people they play soccer with and Little League and all these things, their scout groups. And they began just to, to love them and bless them and to invite them. I love when Vacation Bible School happens because people will come up to us on the patio and say, they're in my 8 to 15. And they have this mindset of inviting people. And and what it does is, again, it reminds us that we are called to go back and engage our community. And so become a herald. Become a sent one. 
Recognize the ways that God is sending you back into this world to make a difference. It, it, it feels to me paralyzing or overwhelming to think of how can a, how can a thousand people at Beach Point impact 319 million people in this country? I just look at that and go, there's, I, I, where do you start? And I think you start in 2 Timothy 2. You pray. We offer, that's something we can offer that no one else can offer. And the lives that we live in the power of God, that give people who don't know God a chance, a foretaste of his kingdom, where they sit there and they say, there's just something different about you, about your family, and I want to know more about it. When, when you see yourself as one that is sent to engage people, to bless them, and you don't even quite know how it's going to happen today, but you're excited and you're aware and you're ready to do whatever God has done. And, and when we take those postures on, I think we will start seeing, we may only be a thousand of us, but we will see a difference in our community and we will see over generations the way that it impacts even to the, to the farthest ends of the earth. And so as we close our time together, our ushers are going to come and they're going to pass to you these elements of bread and a cup. And I want to encourage you to, to take this time. It's a time to pray. It's a time to be thankful. Jesus, on the last night of his life, he took bread and he broke it and he passed it and he said, take and eat. This is my body. And as you do, remember me. And so as the, the trays come by, make sure you grab, there's two cups stacked together. Grab them both. And when you've had a moment to give thanks to, to, to God for this great sacrifice, take and eat the bread and give thanks for that. Remember what he did for you. Jesus took a cup and he passed it and he said, this cup represents my blood, which is being shed for the forgiveness of your sins. When you, you've had a moment to, to give thanks, take and drink. But when you finish that moment, take some time to think Lord, all that you've done for me and all that you want to do for this world, how do you want to use my life? How do you want to use this next season? And maybe today could be more than, this weekend could be more than fireworks and barbecue, which is awesome. But there's this renewed sense of us being sent back into the world, engaged in prayerfulness and godliness in mission, and God begins to use us in a, in a new, renewed way. And so offer yourself in this way. Uh, I, I realize some of you are visiting with us. So you, maybe this is the first time you've been at Beach Point. You are welcome to join us. You don't have to be a member of Beach Point Church to enjoy in the Lord's Supper with us. We invite you. Uh, but this is a celebration for believers, that for those who call Jesus Christ their Savior and their Lord. They follow him. If you're not there yet, can I invite you to this? Take the cups, place them in the rack in front of you and take a moment to decide today, are you ready to trust and follow the one who's given his life for you? Who without hesitation looked down, never stopped looking down and was willing to sacrifice his life so that you could live. And if you are ready for that, then I would encourage you then offer yourself to him and take that piece of bread and eat it and remind yourself, Jesus broke his body.
so that I could live. Take that cup. Jesus shed his blood so that my sins would not be counted against me. And enjoy in this time with us. So let's pray. So Lord, we take this time uh, to reflect, to be thankful, but also to be mindful. We remind ourselves of Paul's words that we are to eat this bread and drink this cup to remind ourselves of your death until you come again. And we share in his prayer that when you come, we don't want anyone, anyone to not know the truth. And so help us not to, uh, to give that away, but to own the responsibility ourselves. And like our first Christian brothers and sisters, let us take a mindful approach of being prayerful and living godly lives and engaging our community with our faith, joining you in your mission. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Take a moment to pray as you are served.